Well, good morning. Glad you're with us here today. I'm excited that we can join together and worship the Lord. I had a few texts from folks. We got some families out sick today. It's that time of year going around. Be praying in prayer for them as folks get well. But uh, I'm glad that you're able to be here with us and that we can join together and worship the Lord. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord? Father, we thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we just sang a wonderful song of praise to you. And we are thankful for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for giving us the energy to come. Lord, we pray for those who are home <clears throat> sick today. I pray that you'd strengthen their bodies. Lord, I know the ones that have, have told me they'd much rather be here this morning than laying home sick. I pray that you'd encourage them. Lord, we thank you for the choir and the musicians and those that are helping us to sing out and praise to you. Lord, we thank you for all those that are serving in other capacities in our church today. Lord, I pray as your word goes forth that you would use it to work in our hearts, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was uh, listening to a message yesterday. See, I have to get my preaching in sometimes on other days of the week. And uh, heard a wonderful message on the ten lepers who Jesus healed. If you remember, he came to them. They were under the tree there and waiting. And, and Jesus comes and he tells them to go show themselves to the high priest so they might be healed. And it was interesting in the message, the preacher brought out the fact that God didn't say be healed and then go show yourself to the high priest. He just said, go show yourself to the high priest. Now, if you're wondering what the significance of that was, in that day, if you had leprosy and you thought you were cured of it, you had to go to the high priest so that he could make sure that you were cured of it before they let you be around other people because leprosy was a very awful and still is an awful disease. And uh, so it was interesting that God tested their faith, that they had to go in obedience before they saw God do the miracle and do the work. What a great blessing and challenge it was to me to think about that often we're waiting to see God do something, and yet God has clearly told us what He wants us to do already. And if we'll be faithful in obeying Him and doing what He wants us to do, God can and He will do the miracles and supply the work and take care of things exactly how it needs to be done. It was a great point in that message. And then the second idea was that of all those ten men, nine kept going to the high priest. One turned around and he came back to Jesus to say thank you. It was a great challenge. No, it's not Thanksgiving, but we need to be reminded to be thankful, don't we? And the preacher brought out a great point. He said, sometimes we're excited, we see the miracle, but if God does something great in our life and it doesn't cause us to turn around and say thank you, then has it really changed us more than just skin deep? Sometimes, and he brought out the point, you know, those lepers, they, they were cleansed in their skin, but their faith did not make them whole. And that's what Jesus said to the man who turned around and said thank you. That when God does a work in us, it ought to be more than just something we get excited about and something we talk about. It ought to be something that drives us back to Him, to turn back to Him to say, thank you, God, for all you've done. And uh, I just want to thank the Lord for all that He's done. 
and be humble before Him, realizing that He's the one doing the work and He's doing it to work in our hearts, to bring us to who He wants us to be, and He's doing it for His glory, and it's a wonderful thing. We have so much to thank the Lord for. I mean, we can thank the Lord that we got up this morning. Sometimes we get full of ourselves. Well, look what I did. I did. God gave you the ability to do that. God gave you the mind to do that. He gave the ability to breathe, the ability to work. He gave the ability to speak. Everything we have comes from God. We just have so much to be thankful for. This morning, Freddie's going to come and read to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, I am so excited about this passage of Scripture this morning. And I have to, I've said this before, I, I have to spend enough time studying till God really works me over, and then I feel like I'm ready to preach to you. And this is one of these passages that God has really worked on my heart about, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. Freddie, come read to us as we continue on with our service. Now, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately the serious of you, you were willing to have impaired unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our souls, because ye were dear unto us. All right, we're going to dismiss our boys and girls if they'd like to go out with Brother Josh and Sister Anna to Junior Church. And we will try to turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week we started in 1 Thessalonians. And we began to think about the foundation of our faith. Why are we here? What's our foundation? We looked at the, I, I used the illustration of launching a rocket, that it's important to have a good launch pad that's got a solid foundation, that's pointed in the right direction, that is ready to go and points us in the right direction. And as we continue on into chapter 2, you've got to try to kind of get your mind back to where we were last week because it just flows right from chapter 1. The ideas are just continuing on. In fact, if you're in chapter 2, look back at verse look back at chapter 1 verse 9. He says, "For they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God." He speaks to this church and he says, you turned to God from idols. You used to be going this direction. Now you turned around and you went this direction. You used to be going towards idols. Now you're going towards God. But in the first part of chapter or verse 9, he says, Ye know what manner of entering in 
we had unto you. Chapter 2 is talking about this. What manner or how they came to be with the church in Thessalonica. And that's what I want us to think about this morning is developing right relationships. See, they had a great foundation to their faith. It was the gospel. The gospel is not just something we speak. It's also something we must live. Because if it doesn't change how we act, it only affects what we say, then it hasn't fully changed us, has it? And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the truth that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that three days later He rose again, and that He gives us victory over sin and over death. And this is a hope, a truth, a message to all the world. So that's our foundation. But when you get into chapter 2, we begin to learn a little more about how Paul and Silas and Timothy, how when they came from Philippi, to Thessalonica, how they began to develop relationships to share this good message. You know, we were thinking about this year and our theme of advance, taking the next step. And we see over here, we, we want to win one, share the gospel with somebody. That's foundational, right? Disciple making starts with sharing the gospel, with evangelizing the lost. And then it goes to leading one, taking that one who has come to Christ and helping to lead them in their growth as they walk with the Lord. And here in chapter 2, we begin to see this process take place in more detail. So he's really expanding upon the idea in verse 9 of chapter 1 that they came to them. We know, of course, that in order to share the gospel with somebody, in order to see somebody become part of a church... Somebody must first go to them, right? I mean, that's the beginning of the Great Commission. He says, go ye therefore, right? It it, it doesn't happen until somebody goes. Aren't you thankful that somebody came to you, that somebody went to you, that somebody shared the gospel with you? Maybe for some of you, it was a pastor in a church that you heard a message. They came to you with that message And you trusted Christ. Maybe, like me, it was my mother who shared the gospel with me and I prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Maybe you might be somebody who just had a random person come by and hand you an invitation to church that also shared the gospel on it and you read that and you trusted Christ. Paul the Apostle was was someone who the Bible tells us was traveling on the road to Damascus. And you know why he was going to Damascus? It wasn't to tell people about Jesus. It was to go and kill people and imprison people because they were followers of Jesus. And God came to Paul. Of course, back then his name was Saul. God came to Saul on the road to Damascus, appeared, had a bright light. Saul fell down. God spoke to him. But Paul trusted in Christ that day. Paul then became a follower of Christ. And now Paul is traveling around going to other people to share the gospel. We see this idea beginning right here in verse 1 of chapter 2. The Bible says, For yourselves, brethren, know our, here it is, entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. 
So if we're thinking about right relationships and why we have relationships, we understand that first of all, in any relationship, it begins with initiative. Somebody going to somebody else. We must take the right initiative. I think of it this way. When you live your life, it's very important to live it with a purpose. Have a purpose. Why am I here? Why did you get up this morning? What was your plan for today? Maybe you don't know everything you're doing, but hopefully you have some kind of purpose to your life. You're not just kind of casting around, floating from place to place with no real purpose or sense of where you're going and what you're doing. If you notice here in in verse 1, Paul speaks of a very specific purpose. He speaks to these people and he says, Know that our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. For something to be in vain means it's empty. It's just a breath. It's just, it doesn't matter. A lot of people live their life that way, don't they? What'd you do this week? Well, nothing that really mattered. That'd be a sad thing to say, wouldn't it? Well, what'd you do this past year? Well, I, you know, I paid my bills. I did this. I did that. I ran around. I had a good time. Does it really matter? I don't think so. Paul and these men, as they came to share the gospel with these people, they had the right foundation. They had the right message, but they came in the right way. They came with a purpose. Did you know when Jesus came to this earth, He came with a purpose? He came with a mission. He he had an initiative, something He was trying to do. The Bible very simply declares this purpose to us in the words of Jesus Christ Himself in Matthew 18, verse 11, where it says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Very simple. Another passage over in the book of Luke, it says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus had a very clear, defined mission statement, purpose, initiative for His life. And I would ask you this morning, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? Like, why, why do you exist? Do you exist on this earth just to take up space and to pay your taxes so that somebody else can live or so that the roads can get paved? or Like, is that all that we exist to do, just to be a cog in some giant wheel that really could care less about us? Is it your purpose just to live, to fulfill your pleasures and desires and do whatever you could just just to live it up and have a good time. Is that your purpose? See, Paul had a very specific purpose. He says, my entrance in unto you, it was not in vain. What's your purpose? Well, he continues on verse 2 through 4, and we see a little more understanding of what this purpose was. You see, Paul had a very strong motivation for why he came. Let's see what his motive was. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, But even after that we had suffered before, so Paul's acknowledging we've gone through some pain, some suffering. The Bible tells us this was at Philippi, right here in verse 2. 
This is a previous city where they had been sharing the gospel. Anybody remember what happened at Philippi? He was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Maybe some of you have heard the story of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas, they were locked in the prison that night, and they were just laying around moping and complaining, weren't they? No, the Bible says they were singing. They were singing. You mean I could sing to the Lord even in jail? Well, if it's because you were put in jail for serving the Lord, yes. If you're in jail for not serving the Lord, it might be kind of hard to sing in jail because you're there feeling sorry for yourself because of your poor decisions or what someone else did to you and you got framed for something. Not, not much to sing about, right? But if you're in prison because you're preaching the gospel and doing what God wants you to do, there's no safer place for you to be because you're exactly where God wants you to be. Because when you're serving God, wherever you end up, if you're being faithful to God, is exactly where God wants you to be. And you can feel very comfortable and safe in that place. You know, for Paul and Silas that night, the safest, most comfortable place that they could be, maybe not physically, but spiritually, was right where God wanted them to be in that jail that night. The Bible says they sang, and God moved that night, and there was an earthquake, and all of the doors to the jail flew open so that all the people could have left and walked out. But they didn't. They stayed. See, God had a plan that night. There was somebody else that He wanted Paul and Silas to come into. There was somebody else that God was trying to reach that night. God had reached Paul a while before this on the road to Damascus. That night, God sent Paul and Silas to reach a particular jailer and his family. Aren't you thankful that God sent somebody to you? You think about the circumstances that Paul and Silas went through to end up talking to the Philippian jailer that night. See, it's often easy in our life to look at our circumstances and our situation and say, why would you allow this to me, God? This doesn't make any sense. Perhaps it makes all the sense in the world. You and I are just too simple to understand it. God is putting you in the places you are with the people you're with and having to face the things that you're facing because He is trying to send you to somebody so that they might hear the truth about who Jesus is. That night, that Philippian jailer came running in. He was afraid that all of the people had gone free. And in that day, if somebody escaped from prison, the jailer paid for it with his life. He was about ready to fall on his sword and take his own life. And they told him to stop. They said, we're all here. The jailer looked at him. He said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that night that man was saved and his entire family. What a blessing. You see, they had a purpose when they went in. And Paul says here in verse number 2 that as they're going in, they had the right motivation. He says, even though we've gone through suffering, see, God can use suffering in your life to put you in the right place. See, we often try to avoid suffering. God doesn't say avoid suffering. God says, I'll be with you through the suffering so that he'll be with you, never leave you, never forsake you, so that you'll be where he wants you to be when the time is right for him to work in the way that he wants to work. He says, we had suffered before. We were shamefully entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you. The gospel of God with much contention. 
In other words, even though people around us were trying to discourage us, even though the religious leaders and the, and the political leaders of the day were persecuting them, they said, we wanted to share the gospel with you. They had the right message. They came with the right initiative. It's because they had the right motivation. Say, so what was that motivation? Well, he speaks about it here in verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, We didn't come to you telling you lies. People that are going to tell you lies are not going to put up with too much persecution to tell those lies. They put up with a little bit. He says, we didn't come with uncleanness, nor in guile, verse 4, here it is, but we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. There's the foundation. Even so we speak, here's the motivation, Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul said, we didn't come here to please you. We came here to please God. There's the motivation. Do you see it? What motivates you to do what you do? Well, people are motivated by lots of different things. I used to work in sales. We were highly motivated by money, right? Pay me more money, I'll sell whatever you want me to sell. Give me a trip, I'll do this. Give me a car, I'll do that. Some people aren't motivated by money. Some people are motivated by free time. Whatever I can do just to be able to relax more. Just give me time off. That motivates some people. Children, it's pretty easy. They're motivated by a piece of candy, a donut, you know, something simple. We use those things in our house. Hey, if we do this, we're going to all go get a donut. Boy. We can get the whole house clean for the price of one donut. That's, that's a good deal. Some of you are older now and you're like, that wouldn't motivate me. I'll take your donut, but I'm still going to sit on the couch. I'm not going to clean the house. I know what you're trying to do. You're like, I need, I need money to motivate me. My boys will come and say, Dad, you know, if we help with this, can we do this job and earn this money for this? And I say, well, how much money do you think you can, should earn? And they give me a figure and I said, well, that's like what a man can earn. And they're like, well, we can work. I said, yeah, but are you as valuable? Can you do as much work as a man could do in that amount of time? Sure we can, Dad. You know, they have an idea of what motivates them. What motivates you? What motivates you will determine how well you live out your purpose in your life. Verse 3 has something, I'm sorry, verse 4 has something very interesting here. It says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. I'm going to get some help from you this morning to help explain what that means. We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Does anybody have any money that they would trust me with this morning? A dollar bill, a $20 bill, $100 bill that I could borrow from somebody? All right. Everybody's raving their hands, but I don't see any money yet. Okay, here it comes. (laughs) I don't know. Don't trust the preacher with your money. You don't know where it's going to go, right? So we're going to think of this idea of being put in trust with the gospel. Now, I know this is not the gospel. This is just $20. Whose money is this? Well, yeah, it all comes from God. But in this illustration, who, who gave it to me? Simon did. So it's his money. Ultimately, we know it comes from God, but we're just thinking about being put in trust with something. So this is Simon's money. Is this my money? No, it's not my money. 
Now, if he said, here, I'm giving this to you, then it becomes mine when I take it. But this idea, he hasn't given me this, he's entrusted me with this. So it's still his. So if Simon says to me, I'd like you to take this money and and go give it to somebody else, then I should do that, right? Because it's not my money, it's his money. But if I were to come over here and say, Gabriel, what do you want me to do with this money? What do you want me to do with this money? What do you want? You have a choice. Do you want me to give it to you? What do you want me to do with this money? Give it back to him. Okay. You're really nice, Gabriel. We got to find somebody meaner than Gabriel. All right. Trevor is happy to volunteer. Oh, Samuel, this is his dad's money. Let's see. Samuel, what do you want me to do with this money? Give it to you. Now, let me ask a question. Should, should I listen to Samuel? Should I listen to him? Yes or no? No. Why? Because it's not his money, right? I've been put in trust with this, and therefore the person who's entrusted me with it has the right to say what I should do with it. Right? Because it's not mine. And it's definitely not Samuel's, even though he'd like it to be his. So if I do anything with this besides what Simon wants me to do with this, I've done wrong, right? I've taken advantage. I've stolen. I've kept it. Whatever I've done with it. I've listened to somebody else other than Simon. So all I can do with this money is what he tells me to do with this money because it's not mine. It's not any of yours. It's Simon's. And God has entrusted us. Yeah, I'm giving it back to him. That's what he wants it for. See, I didn't even take it and put in the offering. Well, look at Pastor. You're putting in $20. In the... No, I'm not going to do that. It's not mine. Folks, God has entrusted us with the gospel. Yes, we benefit from the gospel, don't we? We do. But he's entrusted us with it. So therefore, we ought to do with it what he tells us to do with it. But some people would take the gospel and say, boy, I'm thankful for the benefit that it is to me. Put it in their own pocket and keep it for themselves. But is that what God has said to do with the gospel? No, Paul says, we were entrusted with the gospel. He says, even so, because we were entrusted with the gospel, we speak not as pleasing men. He said, I'm not out here trying to please everybody else. It's not Gabriel's money, it's not Samuel's money, it's not any of your money, it's Simon's money. So I'm not trying to please anybody else with this money except Simon, because it's his money. I'm not trying to please anybody else with the gospel except God, because it's his. And he gave it to me. He's entrusted me with this wonderful treasure. It's worth far more than $20. It's worth far more than any dollar figure that you could put on it. Because it's worth the souls of men and women and boys and girls. He says, you've entrusted me with the gospel. So I'm going to speak not to please men. I'm not out here for people to make me feel comfortable or people to like me or people to pat me on the back and say, you're such a nice person, even though those are nice things. Ultimately, my motivation must be pleasing God. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? 
What's your purpose in relationships? People have a lot of different purposes in relationships. People enter into relationships for what benefit it can bring to themselves, don't they? See this all the time. Man sees a woman, he says, oh, she's beautiful. I want to enter into a relationship with her. Why? If it's just motivated because she's beautiful, that's kind of a one-way selfish reason, isn't it? Uh, A person enters into a business partnership with somebody, let me see how much money I can get from them, how much they can help me. No, it ought to be a a mutual benefit, right? Marriage ought to benefit both parties. Uh, Business contracts should benefit both sides. The things that we enter into, our relationships, there ought to be benefits to both. See, these men went in with the purpose, the motivation, the purpose of developing relationships, ultimately, though, to share the gospel. They then we see this purpose, this motivation being carried on, not because of what other people said or didn't say, not because they had it easy, rather, they were persecuted, but instead because they wanted to please God. I'll give you some thoughts on the right motivation. Because the right motivation will keep you going through hard times. If you have the wrong motivation, you'll quit. Right? Many of you work jobs. What would it take for you to quit your job? Some of you are like, not much at all. Just a little bit better offer from somebody else. Right? Why? Because your motivation to work that job is not because you love those people so much or because it's so fulfilling, it's because they pay me. And if someone will pay me a little bit more to do what I'm already doing, that'd be great. I'll take it. Why? Because you're motivated by money, because your purpose is, is to earn a living. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But spiritually speaking, often we don't even have a clue what our purpose is in our life. And God said, you have a purpose. It's to carry out the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. It's to evangelize the lost and and to teach people all things that God has, has said so that they can grow in their relationship with Him. God's given us a purpose. And maybe you kind of understand the purpose, but maybe you're like a lot of people. You don't really have the right motivation. You're here at church perhaps just because someone else is here. And if I'm not here, they're going to say something to me. Well, that's not a very good motivation, is it? But if my motivation is to please God and not men, the right motivation will keep you going even when times are hard. The right motivation will keep you sharing the truth. Paul said here, our exhortation, it was not of deceit or of uncleanness or in guile. It's not about deceiving others. It's not about some selfish motivation. The motivation is ultimately to please God. Thirdly, the right motivation will keep you going even when some will not listen. You see, Paul and Silas, these men, as they traveled and as they shared the gospel, as they went around trying to start churches, not everybody listened. In fact, only a very small minority did. They went to this city, and the Bible tells us over in Acts chapter 17, as they preached the gospel in Thessalonica, they faced great persecution. They were run out of the city. The leaders of the church were then brought up on trial. Say, why did they keep doing it? It's because they had the right motivation. They had the right motivation. Why do you do what you do? Do you know what you're here supposed to be doing? Do you know what your purpose is? And then why do you live out that purpose? 
The why is very important, isn't it? The what is important. The why is important. But keep going. Because here in verses 5 through 12 then, we see how they kept the right disposition or the right attitude. So I don't know about you, but with, with a, a right motivation, with the right purpose, you can still get discouraged, can't you? you? You can still get upset. You can still get frustrated. I guess I'm looking at a lot of people this morning that never struggle with those things. Well, I do those things. I'm teasing. We struggle with having the right attitude, don't we? You say, you're a Christian and you struggle with those things? Absolutely. Because I still have a flesh that is weak. Look at verses 5 through 12. Paul says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. Even as a nurse cherisheth her children. This is talking about a nursing mother taking care of her children. That's always a beautiful picture of somebody caring for someone else in need. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. Say, wait, I thought that was the message. That's the foundation. But it didn't stop there for Paul. And it shouldn't stop there for us either. It's not just about proclaiming the gospel from the rooftops. Because remember, your message from your mouth may not be enough to help somebody. they got to see it lived out in your life. He says, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Because you were dear unto us. Is the gospel the message? Yes. Is... Proclaiming Jesus the message? Absolutely. Is pleasing God the motivation? It definitely is. But in order to maintain the right disposition, the right attitude, the right outlook on things, you've got to understand what he's saying here in these verses. Verse 9, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses. In other words, you, you saw this. You're witnesses and God. That's a good thing to remember. You're always, God always sees what you're doing. How holily, justly, unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Let me encourage you about what the right disposition is. Paul says, verse 7, we were gentle. The right disposition is gentle. You ever been around somebody that just made you not feel gentle at all? I just want to wring their neck, you know. I just want to grab them. What's their problem? Well, we've probably all been around people like that at times. Paul says we were, we were gentle. Wonderful illustration of gentleness is a mother with a small baby. Gentle. Does the baby ever fight and kick and scream? Sometimes. A good mother is gentle. She's gentle. She holds that baby. 
It might be firm, but it's gentle. You ever seen a mother try to dress a two-year-old? It's work. It's hard at times, but it requires gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness, but it's a softness to the touch. It's a caring for the person that you're ministering to. He says, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Gentle. How's your attitude? Listen, we can, I think as human beings, we tend to one extreme or another, don't we? It's hard for us to find balance in our lives. We're either too busy or we're lazy. It's hard to find that middle ground. Balance. We're either way overtired because we're up too late and up too early and going too crazy or we have nothing to do and we're bored. We either eat too much or not enough. A lot of us struggle on the much side, right? We struggle to find balance in the areas of our life. And sometimes you'll see this. There are some Christians, they don't talk to anybody, share the gospel at all, because they're afraid of what other people think or what someone might say or what somebody might do. They kind of want to keep their religion very private. There are other people that tend to the extreme, not that you could share the gospel too much, but that their manner is offensive. They're out beating people over the head, trying to grab people by the neck. You're not helping anybody if that's how you behave. He says, we were gentle as a nurse cherisheth her children. It must be the right message, but in the right manner, the right disposition. He says, we were gentle. The right disposition is also loving. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not only the God, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. It's loving. Do you really love other people? I mean, really love. If you love somebody, you're willing to sacrifice for them. You're willing to give of yourself. Listen, this is a danger in any church. Well, yeah, we love people as long as you come here on our terms. As long as you talk like us, smell like us, sound like us. Like to eat at the same restaurants that we like to eat at. If you don't, you're going to have to find your own place. That's really sad, isn't it? But it's true that that's how that, exi- that, that exists in a lot of places. We have to work really hard to overcome those things. Because our natural bent is not to be loving. We like to love the people that we like to love. But all those other people, they're going to have to find somebody else to love them. Because I can't do that. Jesus did it. He says, love as I love. He tells us that we should give to others. Why? Because God has given to us. He says, forgive others because you've been forgiven. God's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done first himself. Be loving. I challenge you this morning. Maybe some of you are sitting here going, Pastor, i got to get my purpose in line. I, I don't even really know why I'm here. Your purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission, to please God by sharing the gospel, making disciples. That's all of our purpose as Christians. 
Your motivation is to please God. But your disposition needs to be one that's gentle, one that's loving. We also see a right disposition is sacrificing. He said we're willing to impart not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. What are you willing to sacrifice for somebody else? Listen, sometimes we think this is sacrifice, but it's really not. Someone comes along, I need help. Okay, here's some money. Go, go help yourself, but leave me alone, right? Is that really sacrificing for somebody? So, somebody comes along and I've got all these problems. Well, here, let me read you a couple Bible verses. Okay, now, now go fix your problems, but don't come around me. Paul said, we're willing to give you our own souls. Folks, he's not asking us to do something that's easy. He's asking us to do something here that's hard. It is hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad, right? Hard things can be good things. It's hard work that all these football players go through to get to the Super Bowl. That's hard work. But when they win that championship, they don't go, oh, that was really bad. No, they go, this was great. It was worth it. We have to be sacrificing. For some of us, it's easy to share the message, perhaps. Maybe some of you are like, I can't even share the message. But for some, you're like, I can share the message, but don't ask me to sacrifice myself for somebody else. I'll give them the message. Then they got to go do with that what they will. God says, we must be sacrificial. The right disposition is also hardworking. Look, he says in verse number 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. The right disposition is also pure in its actions. He says, Your witnesses, verse 10, how God also, how holily, justly, and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. What are your motives? What are your actions? Are they pure? Are they selfish? Do you have a hidden agenda? Are you trying to work another angle? Or is it to please God? The right disposition is also willing to speak the truth in love. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Speak the truth in love. That means there even the right disposition is one that loves somebody else. That means I'm even willing to confront them lovingly if I see them struggling, if I see them going the wrong way. Just like a father would exhort and comfort and encourage and challenge his children if he saw them going the right way. Folks, I don't know about you, but as I was reading through this and studying through this and thinking about this, I just felt like God had his, he didn't have his little hammer out, he had his big hammer out, beating me over the head, metaphorically. Be sacrificial, be loving, be Willing to speak the truth in love, be pure in my action, be gentle. So what is your purpose? What is your attitude? What is your desire? Why are you here? What are you doing? Folks, as a church, as individuals, we have a great task placed in front of us and a wonderful opportunity. But these things don't happen by accident. They happen because men and women of God, young people who want to please God say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. 
And I'm going to let God do the work. When Paul shared the gospel there in Thessalonica, it wasn't thousands that came to Christ. It was most likely tens. But is one person worth the effort? Is one soul worth it? I think it is. But we've got to come back to our purpose, our motivation, our disposition. Then finally, I want you to see this morning, they were longing for mature, enduring relationships. He had this great desire. A great purpose is important, isn't it? It, it, it puts you on focus, where you're supposed to be. The motivation keeps you going. It gives you why I should be doing this. But I think there's also an importance of having some passion. Having something we're longing for, something we're looking for, something we're desiring to have. What gives you passion? Motivation doesn't always give you passion. Motivation is just sort of the logical reason why I have to do this. But what makes you passionate about doing it? What makes you passionate about what you do? Are you passionate about anything? Are you excited about anything? I'm passionate about some things. I know some of you are as well. What made them passionate about this? There was a longing in them for something, something wonderful, something great, something that kept them encouraged and kept them focused and moving along. Let's see what it was, verse 13 through 20. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. He said, we're passionate, because when you heard the truth, you didn't just take it as good words from us, you trusted in God. That's exciting. When someone makes the transition, not just to look to us, but boy, they began to follow God. He says then in verse 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. You say, what's he talking about there? He's saying, you were so committed to following God that you were willing to go through great suffering and persecution to do it. You know somebody is really serious about something when they're willing to sacrifice and willing to suffer for what they believe in. I mean, think about it. If some foreign country rolled into the United States of America tomorrow with tanks and planes, they came to take over the country you would very quickly be able to tell who the ones were that really loved for and wanted to defend our country and the ones were like, hey, just do whatever you're going to do, just leave me alone. Right? It would be very easy to tell. There would be some that would come out and they would defend and they would stand and they'd be willing to give their lives, even their own souls, if you will, because they love their country. There would be others that say, hey, just, just leave me alone. If I have to learn another language, that's okay. Just, just let me be. Spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. There are some who are willing to follow Christ and do whatever. There are others who say, hey, if it gets too hard, I'll be over here on my couch. <laughs> you let me know when it gets easy again, and I'll, then I'll come back. 
Paul says, we were passionate. We were excited. We have this wonderful joy because you believe this not as a word from us, but a word from God. And you were so committed to it, you were willing to go through suffering and persecution and pain and difficulty. Why? Because the gospel is there. It can save your life. It's much better than just living an easy life, getting along with everyone else who could care less about God. Notice he says in verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. You know what had happened to them? The persecution was so great that the church people said, Get out of the city now while you still can. So they snuck out of the city and they went on to another city to preach the gospel. Paul said, we want to get back to you. Our presence was away from you. We couldn't physically be with you. But he said, our heart was still with you. They were passionate. They were excited. They loved these people very dearly. They were willing to give themselves for these people. He says, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. See, your passion keeps you pushing even when Satan is trying to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Your passion will keep you pushing even when the persecution is coming from all around. It'll keep you focused where you need to be focused and pushing through the difficulty. Notice, though, the final piece of this, verse 19 and 20, really explains for us what they were passionate about. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Why do we have hope? Why do we have joy? What's our crown? What, what's our honor? What's our glory? He says, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. It's our desire at our church to develop people into learners, lovers, and worshipers of God. Folks, I think it's pretty simple for us to understand this, but let me just explain it anyway. You ever been to a little league game? Watch those little boys, little girls out there playing baseball. And you look up in the stands, and what do you see in the stands? You see moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas screaming their mind out, excited over little Susie who hit her first little t-ball dribbling hit off the tee and it went five feet in front of the mound they're screaming go to first run and they're so excited and after the game they come give her a big hug great job you did wonderful and you look around and you go well that wasn't very special she's definitely not going anywhere with her skills why do you not care because she's not your little girl but when it's your little girl, she's your joy. She's your crown of rejoicing. She's your reason you get excited because she did something. And you want to encourage her and you want to help her, but you're so proud of her. I'm start, I've gotten to this point as well. I've watched my boys playing sports. I, I got to coach their soccer team for a little while. And you know what I find myself doing? I'm over on the sideline kicking imaginary balls. I'm watching, I'm like, go, go. You know, I start kicking my leg. Why? 
because I'm excited about what my boys are doing out there. It's your joy. It's your kids. I'm looking forward to them continuing to grow older. I'm enjoying them now. I keep telling them, you can just stay here. We don't have to have your birthday this year. We can just keep, keep you the age you are. You know, we want you to stay there. I'm enjoying the ages that they are. But there are things I'm looking forward to as they get older. Seeing them grow and learn and begin to do more and more things and accomplish things with their lives. It's kind of scary, too, as a parent, isn't it? Where are they going to end up? What are they going to do? Are they going to make the right choice? But, oh, the joy that a parent has when their child accomplishes something. You know, you might have a child who's not done super well in a lot of areas, but you see them do one thing good and you get excited about it. Everybody else might look at them and go, ah, I don't think, no, but you're excited. Why? Because you have hope. There's positive. They're moving in the right direction. There's something good. Just fills you up as a parent, gets you excited. See, this is what Paul's talking about with these people there in Thessalonica. He said, you are our hope. You're our joy. You're our glory. Can you imagine what it's going to be like someday? He's talking about being in the presence of God. That someday as all believers, the Bible tells us that we will all stand before God someday. We'll all be worshiping and praising Him. He'll be rewarding those who have served Him faithfully. Can you imagine, old Paul looking down the way? And he sees Timothy, his son in the faith. And he starts thinking about, wow, what that boy was like when I found him. Just living there with his mother and his grandmother. He had a good heart, but boy, he didn't know a whole lot. Took some time with him, and he traveled with me, and I saw him grow. And then we sent him out to go pastor a church. And he did a good job. And look at all these people that he's reached with the gospel. What do you think Paul will feel like? What do you think Barnabas will feel like? He looks over, see, Barnabas was a faithful, godly servant of God who we don't hear as much about. But it was Barnabas who went and took Paul under his wing when no one else wanted Paul around. They were afraid of Paul because Paul had been killing Christians, so they didn't want to accept him in the church. And Barnabas came around and put his arm around and said, no, you bring this guy in. He's a brother. He's a follower of Christ now. What do you think Barnabas will feel like heaven someday as he looks around and says, wow, look what God did. Paul wrote all those letters to all those churches and that little church in Houston, Texas, a couple thousand years later, they were reading it too and it encouraged them. Sure am thankful that I was faithful to do what God wanted me to do. I mean, we can think about those people, but think about your own life. What's it going to be like for you someday when you stand before God? Are you going to be able to look down the line and see your son or your daughter or your neighbor or your coworker? That person that you passed over and over again going through the grocery store checkout line and you really didn't give them a second thought until one day you said, you know what, I need to share the gospel with that person. Here, let me share with you, this is what Jesus did for me. Maybe you'll see somebody that you only saw once in your life. You spent three hours riding on a plane with them. 
and you took that time to say, can I share with you what God has done for me? And maybe they trust Christ and someday you see them in heaven again. I don't know about you, I think that's going to bring a lot of joy. A lot of joy. He says, you are glory and joy. Folks, I realize that this life that we live in right now is not always full of joy. Not always full of glory. It can be very tough sometimes. Paul even says it here. He talks about the persecution and here at the end he says, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. Paul's acknowledging some of this joy and excitement and wonderful thing. It hasn't happened yet. But it will. It will. I want to encourage you this morning to examine your heart. Ask God. God, would you help me live with a purpose? A real purpose that matters, that makes a difference. God, work on me about my motivation. I'm really worried about what everybody else thinks about me. God, help me to refocus and say, no, my motivation is to please God, not men. Maybe you'd pray this morning and ask God, say, God, give me the right attitude. I've been discouraged lately. Help me to be loving. Help me to be willing to sacrifice something for somebody else. Not just hold on to what I have and say, well, if you just listen to God, then you could have some of it. No, I just go sacrifice and serve and love and give and be what Christ did for us. Jesus came, died on the cross. A lot of people he died for don't trust him as their Savior, but he still died for them because he loved them. Loved you and he loved me. Maybe this morning... You've just been encouraged a little bit about your passion, what you're longing for, what you're hoping for. Refocus a little bit. Say, I've had my mind on the things of this earth, and I haven't had my mind on the things of Christ and eternity, and I've forgotten that someday I'm going to get to stand before God. I'm going to get to look down that line and say, there's Joe. There's Sarah. There's Natasha. There's... Megan, there's Paul. I remember when I met this one and I shared the gospel with them and they trusted Christ as Savior. I remember when we, we were meeting and studying God's word together and boy, it seemed like it was slow going. But they began to understand and get it and start growing in the Lord. And oh, look, it's not just Megan anymore. Look, there's her husband and there's their kids. They've all come too. I don't know about you, that gets me excited. I get little goosebumps that start to stand up on my arm just thinking about that. Folks, what are you passionate about? Why are you spending your life and your time? I know we've got to work and we've got to take care of our families and the financial and physical side. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust him that all these things will be added unto you. Would you commit to God to live faithfully for Him? To step out by faith? Folks, this is a message. If we give an invitation, I say, if God's worked in your heart, come and pray. We should all come and pray, right? <laughs> because God ought to be working on all of us about some of these things. None of us has arrived. We can all do more for the Lord and faithfulness to Him. Folks, I want us to refocus, to recenter, to be right where we're supposed to be, to find the balance that God wants us to have in our lives so that we can live 
all for Jesus. All for Jesus. All my being, all my power, all my energy, everything that I have for Him. Folks, there's nothing better. Paul said it this way when he got to the end of his life. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Would you stand with me please and bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish our service this morning. I'm going to pray, and if God's spoken to your heart about something, feel free to come here and pray. Feel free to pray in your seat. But get with God this morning. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for what Jesus did for us. Lord, help us to be focused on things that are important. Having the right focus, the right priority. Lord, it's not that... You've said that all these other things don't matter at all, but that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.